This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Koros. This is my favorite GPS watch that I've been wearing for over a year now. My husband, Glenn, and I both wear this watch. It gives extremely accurate GPS reading, and the battery life is insane. It lasts so long, and even when I travel, I don't even take a charger with me. I just make sure it's charged before I leave, and it's one less thing I have to worry about when I'm on the go. It has a sleek look and you see all kinds of ultra runners wearing this watch because that battery life is so good. It also tracks your sleep. It's great for cross training and I couldn't recommend it more. You all can get yourself an extra band. They have all kinds of fun colors at checkout when you use the code another. So go to coros.com and use the code another to get yourself an extra band at checkout. Today, you're listening to episode 215, and I'm talking with Emma Cortez. Emma is a 242 marathoner. She's about to run her second marathon trials this February, where she is hoping to better her place from when she ran in 2016 and placed 39th. She just finished her master's degree in early childhood education and is currently waiting to hear back from PhD programs that she's applied to. So she has a lot of things going on in her life and she's still running really fast. She first came to my attention when I interviewed her boyfriend, Noah Drotti, for the second time on the podcast. And I realized how amazing it would be to have her on this show as well. So Noah is from Indianapolis and they were in town for the holidays. And so we got to do this interview in person, which is something that I really want to start doing more of in 2020. I have a big goal to do more in-person interviews. So we got to cozy up on the couch and have this conversation face to face. All right, before we get started talking with Emma, I want to make sure everybody listening knows that I started a podcast network, Sandy Boy Productions, and we've got two other shows in the network right now other than this show. And that is the Illuminate podcast and the Up and Running podcast. Now, the Illuminate podcast I host, I co-host with three of my girlfriends. And every three weeks, three or four weeks, I come on as a host and I'm doing interviews over there. And these are uplifting and inspiring interviews of people who are doing really cool work. Uh, We've got a lot of social entrepreneurs. We've got some people in the health and wellness industry on the show. And I encourage you to head over to wherever you listen to podcasts and check it out. Now, the other podcast in the network is called the Up and Running Podcast. And that is hosted by Lauren Flores. And she is keeping you up to date on the latest news and current events in professional and elite distance running. Her most recent episode with Diljeet Taylor was so good. Diljeet is the head coach for BYU and she got to talk a lot about what it's like to be a female in this industry and the coaching industry and it was a really fun episode so so on Tuesdays Lauren puts out all the news all the updated information of what happened over the last week and the weekend and then every other Friday now she's doing a catching up episode where you get to know someone who is heavily involved in the sport of running. All right, let's enjoy my conversation with Emma Cortez. Okay, 
Well, today on the podcast, we have Emma Cortez on the show. Welcome to the podcast, Emma. Thank you. I appreciate it. I first want to thank you for coming to my home because I vacuumed knowing that you guys would be here. Well, thank you. Uh, It shows. Everything looks great. Very aesthetically pleasing holiday decoration setup. (laughs) (laughs) How was the flight to Indy? It was good. Uneventful. So that's how you want it to be. Yeah. Um, you tweeted about a song you were listening to on the flight over mm-hmm. the Gucci Mane song. <laughs> yes. So I, so this is so funny cause last night I'm doing all my like last minute research on you. So you'll probably see me like following you here, yep. liking <laughs> random Instagram photos. And I saw that tweet and so I was like, automatically I put it on and it's like me and all my kids Oh no! and I just start blaring it and we all start dancing in the kitchen <laughs> And the funny thing is, is um, we're trying really hard not to cuss right now. Oh, okay. So that probably did not help your case yeah. whatsoever. Like we're having some really bad potty language issues here. And so, and part of it's my fault because I um, am not the best about that. And so my mm-hmm. thing is now I have to do 10 push-ups if they catch me saying a bad word mm-hmm. and then they, you know, go to their room or whatever. But I put that song and I was like, oh, this is probably <laughs> not like in the lane I want to be in for get having my kid not call me mean names yeah probably not yeah (laughs) so last time I interviewed Noah your boyfriend Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I heard you in the background and then I was like I should have Emma on the podcast thank you yeah that was uh Noah did a nice job connecting us so I was happy to oblige um I thought you know after he talks about me so much on all of his interviews that I just really needed to get my piece in there too. So here we are. Well, but actually my friend, do you know Jen Bigham? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She messaged me after that interview with Noah and she was like, Hey, I heard you say that, you know, you kind of jokingly were like talking about having Emma on. She's like, but it sounded like you were really serious. And if you were, you should, because she's funny, intelligent and kind. And she like listed off all these really kind things. And I'm like done. And then I think I probably emailed Noah that day to connect us. Yeah, Jen's really great. That's really nice of her. Yeah, she's super sweet. And she's been a guest on the show as well. So let's get to know you a little bit. You're from Ohio. Mm -hmm. Toledo, Ohio. Born and raised. I went to the University of Toledo as well. And you recently were inducted into the Hall of Fame. Yes. Yep. That was very exciting. Uh, I was inducted into the University of Toledo Athletic Hall of Fame. So we got to go back for that in October, and uh, it was great. It was really nice. Uh, they did a whole ceremony on Friday night, and then they brought us out at halftime during the football game the next day. I got to wave to my family, and there was only about 40 people in the stands because uh, typical Midwestern late October it was raining and about 30 degrees. <laughs> oh, what a bummer. <laughs> yeah. But it was it was really great. That was something that I had wanted to possibly be a part of the Hall of Fame um, because when I was a freshman, my assistant coach, uh, Sarah Vergodi, she got inducted. And I just remember thinking like, oh my gosh, that's so cool that she did so much for the team and she was all Mac and, you know, she made some nationals and the steeplechase. And I just remember thinking like, I want to be that good. I want to be able to contribute to the team in a way that maybe I would make it into the hall of fame. Like I want to be as good as she was. And so that was 
kind of a full circle moment for me. And I got a little emotional when I got the email about being inducted because I just was like, oh my gosh, like it's actually happening. This thought I had oh, like 11 years ago now. How do they choose people to do that? You know, they have a board, uh, the varsity T board, um, and then they vote on it. Uh, I believe they induct like five to six people a year. So it was nice that I was inducted with uh, three others who were athletes at the same time I was. So that was nice to see those guys and be able to kind of reminisce with them as well. Yeah. And then you also got inducted into your high school's Hall of Fame. Yes. (laughs) She is the most famous woman to ever come out of Ohio. Yes. So, which uh, was ironic because my high school cross country and track coach came to Toledo's Hall of Fame induction ceremony. And he's like, he's like, I can't believe Central hasn't inducted you yet. Like, he's like, I don't understand. You know, he's like, I bet you'll get the call because Central doesn't want to be too far behind on this. And then about a week later, they called me and they're like, yeah, we think it'd be really great if you could get inducted into the Hall of Fame and come back for it. So that'll be in April. So I'll go back for that. Okay. So uh, what were the highlight career moments in, in college running for you? Uh, so one that probably not too many people have because they probably did it before they got to college. <laughs> but when I broke five minutes in the mile yeah. for the first time, that was huge for me. Uh, I When I came out of high school to run in college, I was a 19 flat. I ran like 520 for the mile. Did you guys run 5Ks in, in high school? Yep. Okay. Yeah. we did so, 4Ks. I don't know when they oh, really. I mean, I think Indiana does five now, but mm-hmm. I'm just that old. I don't know when. <laughs> Why weren't women running the same distance as men anyway? That's I mean, ridiculous. Also, they're still running 6K. Oh, really? Yep. Men are? No, the women are. And oh, the men and men are, are doing, doing 10K. 10K. I don't understand. Do you, what do you know. think about that? I, so... I think like more appropriately, maybe meet in the middle and have everyone do 8K because 10K is really long. And just for the standpoint that regionals is a 10K for the men and then seven days later, they're doing another 10K. And so I just think for like a fan standpoint and just like the quick turnaround, an 8K is a little bit more appropriate. And then the women can also move up to an 8K and the men can move down and just have it all be an AK, although well, I guess 6K really is sort of an innocuous number as well, but I think 8K would be a little bit more appropriate. Just meet in the middle. But like professional running, every everybody runs the same distances, right? Right. So why yep. are we doing, that's, I don't know. I know. Huh. Well, I, so my freshman year at Toledo, we still in the Mid-American Conference, we ran a 5K okay. at our conference meet. Okay. That was the last year they did it and they bumped it up to 6K. But huh. that was only in 2008 that that happened. So huh. yeah. Times are changing. Times are changing. <laughs> okay. So the sub five minute mile. Oh yes. Okay. So um, breaking five in the mile when I was in college, that was huge because I came into college thinking that it'd be great if I ran like 510 for the mile. I was like, oh, maybe I'll shave 10 seconds off my mile time in four years. That'd be pretty good. Uh, And so then obviously I was faster than that by the end of college. But um, yeah, when I broke five in the mile for the first time, that was 
that was probably my most memorable experience uh, in my collegiate running because that was something I had never thought was even in the realm of possibility Mm -hmm. for me. And so then to do that, that really opened the door for me to be like, oh, okay, like I can actually make goals that are maybe like a little bit, a little bit lofty and see where I fall when trying to achieve those. And so that was really big. Um, And then we went to nationals as a team, which was also very cool and um, won the Mid-American Conference Championship twice in cross country. And that was a really great experience too, just being able to be a part of that team achievement. Uh, that That was really memorable. Did tell us about growing up with like 9,000 siblings. <laughs> yeah. So I have, um, I'm the youngest of five. Oh, wow. Uh, yep. And I have four older sisters. And then my mom got remarried when I was 16. And I have two younger step siblings and an older stepbrother. So we have a really big family. Are the youngers half siblings or step? Step. They're mm-hmm. step too. Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, it was <laughs> it was really fun. Um, it's also really fun to have a younger sister who is twenty years old because oh, any wow. like meme I don't understand, she I can. just send it to her and like give me your Gen X opinion on this. Are they Gen college? X? I don't know. Is that Gen X? I'm on the like really old end of millennial. Like I kind of barely made it in. Okay. Um, so I, I'm like, I feel like I would be texting you lots of questions. Yeah. So I just send, I just DM my little sister memes. Yeah. She gives me feedback. I guess it would be Gen X. Yeah. Right. I think so. I think that's Gen X. And okay. she gives me feedback and then I seem like I'm in the loop in yeah. front of my friends who are also millennials yeah but, yeah you do listen to gucci Mane, so i do yeah so that's kind of like a gen x thing a little bit i'm just trying to fit in with the kids trying to make it seem like i'm still with it so. yeah how do you think um growing up with so many siblings like shaped who you are today uh i think it was really impactful um you know i grew up with a sister who is we're 15 months apart and then another sister who is nine years older and then two sisters who are 15 and 14 years older than me respectively um and I think it was really impactful I mean I got to see them grow up and see them make life choices and that whether or not they were making decisions to be an example to me or not I took it as an example and also having a lot of siblings uh, gives you a better sense of uh, time management because we had two bathrooms mm-hmm. <laughs> growing up <laughs> and uh, just a more, I guess, like a better ability to be like, oh, OK, so we have to share and like I need personal space and maybe I can't really have personal space right now. And that gave me an opportunity to kind of be able to create my own space and up and just like my own pathway um through watching them and my sister's a teacher too uh, my oldest sister and so that was a really good example for me and she was the one who actually uh not pushed me but suggested that maybe I try out teaching as a substitute and see if I like it and uh she was pretty instrumental in that yeah and this is not um saying anything negative about 
families that don't have as many kids, but I do feel like, like with having four myself, like a lot of times I'm like, you're just going to have to figure it out, buddy, because Mm -hmm. like I got my hands full with these two. Yep. I mean, like today on the way into daycare, I had all four of them with me because it was before I took the big boys to school. And like my three-year-old is like screaming because I can't put his coat on for him. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, the the door is right there. You're just not going to have a coat on. Yeah. And I'm just like, you know, and then this, this, these parents next to me, like two of them are both going in with their one kid. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, just this hot frazzled mess, but it's like, he's just going to have to figure it out. Whereas if it was just him, which would, is fine. I mm-hmm. would have been like, of course I'll zip up your coat. Blah, yes. blah, blah. But yep. you know, I think it's kind of like just goes with the territory of having multiple siblings. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really, I really like having a big family. We're that family that like around holiday times that we will sit at the dinner table for like three hours and See, I'm you jealous know. <laughs> of those families my family's not like that yeah yeah it's really nice I really appreciate it a lot more as an adult as mm-hmm. I've seen other family celebrations mm-hmm. and you know have a better idea of like what families do around holidays and I was like oh I was like well our family will like sit at dinner for three hours and Noah is not used to that at all he, like um, get me out of here <laughs> a little bit yeah. <laughs> I got a book to read yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. We'll probably be here for like another hour and a half or so. And he's like, what? (laughs) And I was like, just, just relax. You're fine. Just relax. Lean into it. It's fine. Yeah. (laughs) If you ever have kids one day, that's like the out. Because you're like, sorry, he's got to go to bed. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Yeah. Um, Oh, that's good. Okay. So after college, Mm -hmm. we'll go back to the running a little bit. Mm -hmm. You went and ran for Hanson's Brooks. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. So walk us through that. Sure. Uh, I went to Hanson's. I unfortunately don't think I really was able to like utilize all the resources there. Uh, not because of any fault of the Hansons, but more my own. I was just riddled with injuries the mm. whole time I was there. And I really don't think reflecting on it now, I don't think I got to get the full experience of being a part of Hansons Brooks only because I spent most of my time cross training and being on the Alter G. And that was a hard headspace to be in because I had just come off of college training. I was ready to go. I was ready to rip it, you know, professional running. Let's do this. And then to be hit with, I, well, I had a stress fracture in my calcaneus and then ended up having a stress fracture in my hip bone. And it just, I was like, oh, maybe I'm actually like not meant to do this. And um, it was a hard place to be in because I wasn't really fully prepared, I guess, to, well, I was prepared to make the jump into professional running and to do all the training and do all the things, but I wasn't prepared for the inevitable, oh, this is your job, but now it's just cross-training, and that was really hard yeah. to deal with, um, and so I was only there for a year um, because I just felt like this isn't really the right fit for me. I'm not contributing to the team, um, so then I ended up moving out to the Pacific Northwest and I was a volunteer assistant coach at Washington State University. And that really reinvigorated my passion for running because I was like, oh my gosh, if this is what professional running is, get me out of here. Mm-hmm. So being a volunteer assistant was 
really great because I could help other people, um, you know, get better at running and try to cultivate that passion for getting better. And um, I felt like I had more of a purpose than just to sit around and cross train all day. And that was really helpful. And then by that time, I had also healed from my injuries and um, the 2016 marathon trials window had opened up. And so I was like, well, maybe I should train for the marathon trials. Maybe I should try to train to qualify for the marathon trials. And so that was really, really good to have that as a goal. And it really helped like relight my passion for running because I did leave Hanson's as like, no, done. Mm. I do. I do not want to do this. Like, I don't think my body can handle it. And I I mean, looking back, I was like 23. So yeah, I'm like, I'm like what really? do we really know when we're 23? <laughs> exactly. I'm like, this isn't for me. And, <laughs> um, Did but, you ever figure out what the like root of injury might have been? Um, I think I fell into that classic trap. Yeah. You graduate from college. Mm-hmm. I was gung ho to do all the training, do all the things and really doubled down on everything. Although, you know, what had worked in college where, you know, the slow build of progression. Uh, I think sometimes you can fall into the trap of, oh, like I'm a professional runner now. I have to do all the things to the nth degree possible because Mm -hmm. now this is my job. This is important. Whereas I had basically thrown out the slow build, slow progression model out the window. And so I think I was just a little overzealous and trained probably a little too hard um, and got injured. And then, you know, I'm injured. Well, now I have to cross train really hard because this is a job. And then I came back too early and just kind of fulfilled that injury cycle, uh, unfortunately. And then it wasn't until like I stepped away and was like, I need to really rethink what's going on here. I was able to actually give my body the time it needed to heal from those injuries. I mean, honestly, we see this in very amateur runners too, mm-hmm. because people like they run a marathon and then they run like a 20 minute PR and then they, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then they start running like 70 miles a week as like a classic, like, mm-hmm. you know, three fifteen marathon or something like that. And until I think someone gets injured or like takes a step back, like you're talking about and looks at what was going on, they just think it's like normal. Yeah. But it ends up it can end up feeding into this like really unhealthy yes. passion. Yes. Well, cause you're like, oh my gosh, I just PR'd by 20 minutes. Yeah. Or I'm like, I'm on this new professional running team. I like I'm so excited. And yeah. it, I think it does stem from a good place because you're excited about your progression, but doing everything to the nth degree and doubling down isn't what got you there in the first place. And I think I lost sight of that. And it's hard when you're on a team with Des Linden and Dot McMahon and Melissa Johnson. They, they were all on your team when you were training? Yep. Yeah. Wow. And so I was like, oh, I'm like running with these like legends every day. So cool. Like I want to keep up with them. Well, they had, you know, 10 years of professional right. running experience say, yeah, on me. Des is like 36. <laughs> you're 29. Mm-hmm. Dot's mm-hmm. like 41 or yeah. two. Yeah. And so I think it's easy to fall into that trap of, I want to be like them. I want to emulate them. I look up to them. And 
Um, so I don't think I was necessarily training as smart as I should have been. So to no fault of anyone but my own. So except I mean, and I'm not I'm not saying this negatively to the Brooks Hansen's coaches because I don't know what was going on, but I just think it's a reminder to anybody that's coaching athletes out of right out of college, like who are entering that I might want to be pro scene is like how you nurture that. I mean, at 23, you're so young, Yeah, you know, <laughs> you are dealing with adults, but you're still dealing with adults that are like just coming out of college and mm-hmm. have this big dream. And, um, I'm sure I can't imagine, but I'm sure it's like so easy to just fall into that. Like, okay, everybody else is doing 90 yeah. mile weeks or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, you were doing. Yeah. And they have a schedule and everything. And I just think, I was following the schedule, but maybe running a little too hard yeah. and overextending myself in the prescribed workouts. And that that adds up. Yeah. And it takes a toll on you. Yeah. And it can, you know, that that really takes a toll. And I think that kind of then led to my cycle of injuries. Um, talk to me about what you think about this, like, at this age, not where you are now, but where you were. Mm-hmm. Like, what what we would need to be, what people might need to be armed with to like enter into the pro running scene in like a healthy headspace. Because if you just get thrown into it, I mean, your coaches, I guess your running coaches can only do so much. Like should people be seeking out like other support systems or? Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a really good question. I think having the thought and acknowledging that running at the professional level uh, is a long-term endeavor. Um, And because when I was 23, I had thought, oh, this is it. This is my opportunity. But reflecting back now, I wish I would have looked at it as more of a long-term, like, okay, we're going to take the incremental steps just like I did in college to get better every year. But because it had the word professional in Mm -hmm. front of it, in front of runner, I threw that all out the window. And so I think approaching it as more of a long-term investment and just knowing that it takes time to be where those other women were that I wanted to be, but I wanted to happen then. I wanted Mm -hmm. to be really good and I was very enthusiastic, but I think tempering that enthusiasm sometimes may seem counterintuitive, but really being a part of the system and building slowly is the best approach because that's what's going to get you healthy, you know, five years down the road and not riddled with injuries. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's just so applicable to everything. And even in, I think about this like podcasting, mm-hmm. you know, people always ask me podcasting questions and I'm like, your podcasting is not going to be like an overnight success or, you know, it's just like, you can't just jump in and things take off. You just have to focus on what, where you are right now mm-hmm. and next week and the week after, and yes. then you'll finally get to a year. And it's just like, it's just such a long, long-term game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, well, let's talk about the mental health health piece mm-hmm. a little bit then, because um, it seems like what you're talking about when you kind of went into that, like injured, do I even want to run? Mm-hmm. Like what did that do for you mentally? I felt like, I mean, to be totally blunt, I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm a failure. I'm not really sure what else I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. This was something that I really wanted and it's not panning out in the way I wanted it to. I don't really have a backup plan and 
that was really hard because that was like my dream job. I, oh my gosh, I got to go run professionally right out of college and it wasn't panning out. I wasn't even running. I was injured and I wasn't in a very good headspace and it was tough, really tough. But I think it then allowed me being injured because you're not running so much. And I really wasn't even cross training at that point either because the injury, I just simply needed rest. Mm. And I think sometimes you have to find that line with an injury of whether or not jumping in the pool, jumping on the bike is actually the right prescription. Sometimes just not doing anything and really giving your body full rest for a few weeks is the right choice. And for me at that time, that was the right choice. So it freed up some space (laughs) and some time (laughs) for me to think about what I was actually passionate about and what I wanted to do outside of running because I hadn't thought about it. I mean, you're in college and you're running in college and yeah, I was getting a degree, but I knew in the back of my mind because my coaches had said, I think actually you could probably go on to maybe run at like a professional level in some capacity. And so that was on my mind. I wasn't thinking about what I was going to do with my history degree. So it really wasn't until I was about 24 that I got to sit down and think, okay, what am I actually passionate about? What do I want to do with my life? And that injury break gave me the space to explore and see what I liked. And the volunteer coaching position, I got to get a taste of that. Uh, I also coached um, an adult running group at the same time and found that I actually liked coaching adults a little bit better than I did college coach or college kids. Um, Why was that? uh, I think that for me, I really admired that adults were coming on a Tuesday and Thursday night at 6 p.m. on the track. They would come snow, rain, wind, no matter what, because that was their time and their space to have their own. You know, these were people who were sacrificing missing dinner with their families. They were coming from a really long day of work. And I really admired that, that this was so important to them, that they, this was their standing appointment Mm -hmm. for their workout. And so for them to show up ready to go, ready to rip, no matter what their day had looked like um, twice a week. I really appreciated that. So I wanted to pour that same energy back into them that they were pouring into their own running. Um, And so that I I really, really enjoyed that. That was really fun. Um, And volunteer assistant for college coaching was also really fun in a different way. Um, But Yeah, I just really appreciated that the adults would show up and, you know, no matter what kind of day they had, that they were, this was their time for them to work on their running. And I, I really admired that. So you, you come back from the energy injury, you'd qualify for the 2016 trials. Mm -hmm. What time did you run to qualify? Uh, I ran 2.42.17, my first marathon at CIM. At CIM. (laughs) Yep. And was that, was that 2015 that you ran it? 2014. Okay. So you had like a year in between. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so then you placed 39th mm-hmm. at the trials. Yep. You didn't quit. 
I didn't quit. It was really hot. It was really hot. Uh-huh. It was very, very hot. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I just... <laughs> what what time did you run to get... I mean, and no, everybody know that time is really irrelevant, but... Uh, I ran 2.44. Okay. So, Which, yeah. Yeah. At the time, I was just like, I can't believe... Well, I... Heat, yeah. Yeah. So, I... I mean... I think I was probably in like the best shape of my life going into the trials okay. and I was being coached by Mike Morgan at the time um, of Hanson's. Okay. And he, the night before we looked at the weather forecast and he probably gave me the best advice pre-race I've ever been given. He was like, you're not going to PR. Mm. He's like, it's going to be a battle of wills out there tomorrow. You just need to survive and run smart a lot of people are going to run really stupid races yeah. tomorrow. <laughs> and I immediately was like upset because I'm like, no, 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 no. Because you were I, in so PR shape. I'm yeah. in like 238 shape, Mike. So, uh, and he's like, no, you're <laughs> not, not going to run that tomorrow. And I'm like, but what if? And he's like, no, you're not going to run that tomorrow. <laughs> and I, you know, obviously was upset because I was like, I don't think you understand. He's like, no, I don't think you understand. <laughs> <laughs> he was giving you tough love. Yeah, he was giving me tough love. Um, but he was right. I mean, I, with knowing that, he's like, you have to just be really smart. And he's like, go out slower than you think is even necessary. And I think I was probably in like the last like 20 places through the first 5k mm -hmm. and then just moved up and whether that was because I was moving up and people were dropping out combination of the two but I mean you really have to I think with the marathon oh, there's just so much that goes into it but I think a piece that a lot of people overlook and I'm going to take this going into Atlanta as well but I think a big piece is that people are just like I'm in great shape weather be damned I've done all the training I'm doing this I'm executing my race plan I don't care what the weather is I don't care if it's hot or what the course is or if it's cold you know and I think that a lot of people overlook that yeah and that's a big part of it I mean yeah. that's huge I know it's so hard people get so bent out of shape too because they're like but I trained for mm -hmm. this and mm -hmm. it's like well you can't yeah. You just can't do anything about the weather. Yeah. Well, and then on top of it, too, you're at the trials. Yeah. So it's like, this is the trials. Yeah. And for people like myself, who I'm very aware that I don't have a chance of making the Olympic team. So the trials are like my own Olympics. Yeah. You know, I want to run well. I want to compete really well there. I want to do the best I can. And so I think sometimes that really plays into a role where people are just like, I'm going for it. But... You have to play it smart, I think. Yeah. And I remember we did a watch party at the 2016 trials. We watched it at Athletic Annex. And do you know Erin Varagara? I don't. Have we met her before? I know Shirley knows who she is. Yeah. She got like 20th place. And I she must have. Oh, wow. I know. And she's she's like, uh, I think her PR was like, I don't know. I can't. I can't Wait, did she PR at the trials? I don't know, but she ran, I mean, 20th place, or it might have okay. even been 19th. That's like so fast. But she isn't someone that you would be like, oh, she's going to be top whatever. But I, sure. it's probably because she was like super smart like that. Yeah. And so I try, I try and take that into like races, especially with weather and, you know, a couple other factors that are going on. Um, 
but I'll definitely be taking that into Atlanta because the course is really hard. Yeah. Where, <laughs> so I know then you've, you've dealt with some injuries here and there mm-hmm. th- over the years. What race did you use to qualify for this year's trial? CIM. Okay. Last year. You love yep. CIM. <laughs> I love and what did you run at CIM last year? Uh, I qualified by the skin of my teeth. Okay. I ran 244, 41. Was that super fun to be in that massive group of people that were, you know, there's always a million people trying to qualify at CIM? It was. And it, it is a really neat experience is to it? be in a really big group where you have this common goal. And so unlike a lot of other like head to head racing where it's super competitive, CIM is well, obviously like upfront, people are clearly like racing and mm-hmm. obviously everyone's racing and trying to place well and beat each other but when there is a big group like that where everyone's just on the otq train it is a really neat experience to be with a bunch of people who are having a common goal it reminds me a lot of cross country yeah um when i was in college and high school where everyone equally wants the same thing and you're willing to help people out a little bit more whether that's trading off the lead in the front of the group or, you know, oh, like water stop up, you know, that or even just like giving a few words of encouragement to someone next to you. Um, It's a really unique experience to be in that. And at the elite level of running, you don't get that a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, So that it's it's a really, really cool experience to be a part of that. Um, I kind of fell off (laughs) the train a little bit at the end. Um, But I was just so glad to have qualified. You got in. <laughs> I got in. Um, I want. I was dealing with a hamstring injury uh, going into CIM last year, but I was starting grad school in January, and so I was like, "I am getting this, this is done. It. This yeah. is it. I'm not going to train for a marathon, um, especially to try and get a qual- trials qualifier when I'm in grad school and teaching. Like, this is it. This is my opportunity." I'm pretty sure I can get it. It might be really tough the last 5K. (laughs) And it was. Hanging on. (laughs) Hanging on. Um, But I got it. And it was was a big relief. Yeah. (laughs) What would you have done? Do you think you, I mean, if you didn't get it, do you think you this fall would have gone for it? I... Yeah, I probably would have. I pro- honestly like my backup plan is like I'll probably go to Chicago. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll probably go to Chicago because that'll be enough time to recover, uh-huh. um, and then do Chicago and then recover again and then start up for trials training. I'm so annoyed with myself. I meant to sign up for Chicago and totally forgot (laughs) this year. I was like, I have even had a friend like texting me like, these are the dates you need to sign up by. Mm -hmm. And I just completely spaced it. And that was going to be my plan. Have you run Chicago before? Yeah. Like in 2010. Okay. Yeah. It's great. And it's close and easy. So it's like a, you know, it's flat because I wanted to try to run faster. And Mm -hmm. so I know that like the groups would be good to run with. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, now I'm. I guess I'm not running Chicago. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> Take <not>. it. <laughs> you could do Berlin. Well, Berlin's already out too. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, because it's before. Oh. Well, in Chica- Berlin, I would have had to do lottery. Chicago, I didn't okay. have to do lottery because I think you only had to run like a 340 or, you know, something like that to mm-hmm. just get into Chicago. Yeah. So I know. I'll have to figure that out. Anyway, um, so trials, mm-hmm. are you, what's going on with your training? Um, It's been pretty good. I, so citing the, um, sort of shaky buildup I had for CIM, 
I was dealing with a hamstring injury and I was like, I, I'm, I'm doing CIM. I was like, I'll figure out the hamstring stuff after. Mm. I'm not going to worry about it. And I put it on the back burner. I took some time off thinking that would heal it up. It's like, oh, I'll just rest. I'll take the two weeks I usually take after a marathon and um, I should be fine (laughs) after that. Uh, Not the case. I started running again. It still felt just as bad as it did, but I was pretty stubborn. I was like, no, I think with like rehab and running, I'll be fine. And I basically messed around doing that until June and then finally got an MRI and it showed um, a tear in my hamstring. And so I was like, oh, okay. So I wonder if I this is still recording. But keep going. I'm like, oh, okay. So I have a torn hamstring. That's uh, It was actually torn? Yeah. There was a tear like right where the bone um, connects to like the hamstring. I am not a physical therapist or a doctor, so these technical terms are great. But uh, um, yeah, there was a tear. And so I was like, okay, well, all right, here we are. I guess I like really need the time off. And they, they, the doctor told me they're like, it just requires time off, like doing absolutely nothing. No, no much. pool swimming, no biking, no pool swimming, no biking. And how do you mentally deal with that? Cause I like, I just go crazy. I go crazy too. I like to do, I, I like to have a lot of like irons in the fire. And so, and running is a really big outlet for me. Um, I really do like enjoy running. Yeah. I know a lot of people will run because like they're good at it, but yeah. I actually enjoy running. Yeah. And so it was a big bummer for me because I do like going out there and just running through the neighborhoods and, you know, I find it to be kind of my own personal time and I like to listen to podcasts and sometimes I just like to just run and think and, you know, it's really was like a space for me, where I know a lot of people will use running as more of like a social outlet, um, I like to use it as kind of my own time. So to have that taken away from the because of the injury was really tough, uh, but it did help a little bit. My mom and I took a trip to Europe for three weeks. Oh, nice. And so it coincided with that. So I was like, well, that'll be nice. Like I'll be you know, doing this like great trip that we've had planned for a couple years with my mom and um, I won't have to worry about, oh God, I, I need to get, in. yes, I had to wake up at six to go run 10 do miles and yep. then do the day. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so the timing was really good. So I took about almost like the whole summer off um, and then got another MRI in September and or excuse me I got an ultrasound um I got an ultrasound done and it showed that it was healed and uh so I got the clear to start jogging a little bit and it was like I was doing one minute running (laughs) like nine minute walking Mm -hmm. kind of thing (laughs) um which is really humbling yeah really really humbling uh and you know, slowly building up from that. I won't lie. There was a couple days that I came back just crying because I'm like, I cannot believe like I'm so out of shape. That was the longest time I had taken off from running since, I mean, maybe since I was like 19. Yeah. And so to have, I think it was probably about like nine weeks total of zero running and I wasn't really cross training. Um, 
Um, that makes a big difference. Makes a big difference. Train. Oh my gosh. Yes. And so, um, but slowly it started building up in September. Um, and now I've been doing about anywhere between like 55 and like 70 miles a week over the last four weeks or so. Um, and just being ultra cautious of my hamstring. And so I'm learning that if I need a cross training day, it's okay. Yeah. That's been a really hard lesson for me in this buildup in particular. Um, whereas like yesterday, uh, I was a little beat up from my workout that I did on Tuesday. And so 15 times two minutes. Yes. Strava. Yes. I just started following you there too. (laughs) Checking all my boxes (laughs) in my research. All the social media followers. I love Strava. (laughs) 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 Strava or it didn't happen. Yeah. And so I uh, accidentally forgot to restart my watch yesterday and I was like, man, I only ran 4.4 miles, but it was really like 5.2. I was really sad. Just got a manual upload. Oh, that's true. And then you can just like I need need those six minutes to (laughs) be recorded. uh, So I was feeling a little beat up and so yesterday I ran about like six miles and things weren't loosening up and I am trying I'm learning I'm trying to make the more mature decisions to be like okay so maybe I go to the gym and I finish this on the elliptical or yeah. I finish this on the bike and that's been really new for me because I am stubborn uh admittedly a little hard-headed and so that's been <laughs> he's shaking his head. Noah is shaking his head. Yes, <laughs> because he witnesses it on he's a agreed. daily basis. <laughs> but um, that's been new for me, and so I'm trying to give myself a little bit of grace in learning this, yeah. and uh, giving myself the space to be like, it's okay. You know, this is I'm trying to be mature. I'm not 23 anymore I can't go out and hammer when I'm really really sore anymore um and also I'm not a professional runner anymore you know I identify as like an elite runner you know but um I'm also like well this isn't really like my job and so I don't need to you know hammer out a run if I feel like I can't do it I need to make the smarter choice for my body because this is now Running now has become more of something I like to do on a daily basis and something I really, really enjoy. Not that professional runners don't enjoy running, but it's now become more of like my outlet and my time for myself versus a job. And so I need to make the smarter choices so I can keep that space intact. Is that a hard space to be in, though, because you want to still work really hard and like go after big goals, but knowing that it's not your job? For sure. Yep. And I, so now I feel like the time that I do carve out for running, if I do have a big workout, I'm like, this is the time to do it. Like I'm doing it. I'm going for it. But then I do it and I move on with the rest of my day. Like other things to do. Yep. Other things to do. And I think that just for me personally, that's been really helpful to have other projects going on and to be having to have worked on my master's um, that that really works for me to have other things going on. And I think it actually helps my running because I can be a little neurotic mm. and I could be that person who thinks about the run. All Gives you day. distractions. Yes. If like I, all I had was running going on, it would be, oh my God, the run it's happening. You know, I like, I don't even like to 
commit to like workouts for that reason. Because mm-hmm. if I commit, like if I know when I wake up in the morning that I'm going to run like, you know, eight by 800 or something, mm-hmm. I wake up like thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I just like start my morning and do all my things and then I get to the gym or wherever I'm going to run and I'm like, I feel pretty good. I think I'll just go do this. Mm-hmm. Usually I end up running better and I like there's no system for me because it is this is for fun for me too Mm -hmm. but like you know at some point I'm like do I need structure because it is more but it's more fun to not feel fully committed and then you just live your life Mm -hmm. and you throw it in when it makes sense yeah absolutely and usually your body tells you when you're ready right Mm -hmm. yeah and I think like you absolutely can do it for fun and still have big goals and be dedicated and be committed and but also like reserve that, you know, there's going to be an hour and a half in the morning that I'm going to work really hard. Yeah. But then I'm going to go home and I'm going to work on a research paper. Yeah. For five hours. Yeah. And that's OK because I have other things going on, too. All right, friends, I'm going to take a quick break and let you know that I am coaching a spring half marathon training program here locally in Indianapolis. I'm teaming up with Athletic Annex and Michelob Ultra, and we are putting on this training program that will be targeting the One America 500 Festival Mini Marathon, which is May 2nd of 2020. By the way, you can register for that race using the code ANOTHER5 to get a $5 discount on it. But I would love it if you are local to Indy I would love it if you would think about coming out and training with us. We will be meeting on Wednesdays and Saturdays, Wednesdays at 6 p.m. and Saturdays at 8 a.m. from Athletic Annex. I will be at all of the Wednesday evening runs and it's just going to be a great community atmosphere with awesome coaching and also we are teamed up with St. Vincent defining sports once again so we will have once per month injury checks by the athletic trainers at St. Vincent. These are athletic trainers who work with not only everyday athletes, but also Olympic athletes as well. These people know what they're doing. And then we'll have Anna Turner, who is a sports dietitian. She will be back to give some nutrition talks for us. And her first talk will be in February. So head over to my website at lindsayhine.com for more information about the training program, I will have a link to it in the show notes for this specific episode. So go to lindsayhine.com, click on the podcast tab, this episode in the show notes, you will see the link to register and find more information on the training program. All right, let's enjoy the rest of my conversation with Emma Cortez. Yeah, so you just finished your master's, you're looking to get into a PhD program? Yep. I'm talking to a lot of academics lately on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yes, I just finished my master's in early, thank you, in early childhood education. Uh, it's something I'm very passionate about. What's considered early childhood? Uh, birth to age eight. Okay. All my people are still there. My Mm -hmm. oldest is seven. I know. I was like, oh, I was like, we got a lot of young young ones. (laughs) I, my, um, well, one thing I wanted to ask you about that because Mm -hmm. I noticed that you had mentioned something on social media about. Um, if you want to make a difference to vote for free pre-K, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. my kids have both done free pre-K, mm-hmm. um, through IPS here in Indianapolis and my second is in pre-K right now. So I just, 
interested to hear your thoughts on that and why you're so passionate about it. Absolutely. It makes a huge difference yeah. going to kindergarten. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of states uh, that don't require preschool. And so you have kids going into kindergarten who have never been in a school setting ever in their lives. And not that their parents aren't preparing them, but it's a different preparation mm. in preschool, pre-kindergarten, uh, going into kindergarten. And there are just a, such a long list of studies that show the benefits of being in a preschool and pre-kindergarten setting before kindergarten. Even if it's like a half day thing. Yep. Absolutely. And it not only helps with academic skills, which are important, but really more of the social emotional yeah, skills yeah. because they're working with peers. They're learning to interact. They're learning to form relationships. They're learning to share. <laughs> they're learning how a day schedule works. And those are important skills that, you know, yes, maybe some parents are teaching that. I'm not disparaging parents who keep their kids home before kindergarten. It's hard to teach that, though, if you don't aren't well, right. in the setting right exactly um and just really from like the social emotional standpoint that's something that i'm really passionate about my thesis was on that oh wow um she and, knows a lot about it yeah <laughs> so uh and that's huge i mean that's a really important part and i really think that social emotional skill sets are probably a little bit more important than academics academics are important but social emotional that's like teaching kids how to be people mm -hmm. and we need good people in yeah. the world and so that's important um and so sometimes then if a child is not in a preschool or pre-kindergarten program they're missing out on some of those uh some of that time to build those skills so i'm very passionate about that because preschool can be very expensive yes and I think that preschool and pre-kindergarten should be a right to children so they can learn those skills. And I mean, I could really go on about this, mm. but um, but really, I mean, it's an investment in our future if we were to have free universal preschool and pre-kindergarten, because in the long run, that's really going to be more beneficial for our country. We're going to have more people well equipped with those social emotional skills you're going to have people who are testing higher in academics so people are going to be going more people are going to be going to higher education you can extrapolate it a lot of different ways um but i think that that's really important and that's been a big thing that i've been pushing for <laughs> on my own little platform of social media yeah you know um you do in, in indiana and I only know IPS schools, but you ha you do have to apply and like it's a mm -hmm. kind of a lottery system. And yeah, um, we actually sent our oldest to pre-K twice because mm -hmm. he went <laughs> basically he went when he was a fresh four because I was having my third baby and I was like, get yep. this kid out yep. of the house. Mm -hmm. um, and it was free because he went to IPS, actually the school across the street here. Um, mm -hmm. But then I we wanted him to start kindergarten a little bit later age at six. Mm -hmm. And so we. But we went, sent him to private for the next year because you can't do pre-K twice, which is fine. I totally get that. Mm -hmm. um, but I will say like socially and emotionally and all the all those boxes that you're talking about checking, um, I can just tell like he, 
he he's older, but I can just tell that he did it twice too. Mm-hmm. It's you know? huge. Yeah. And so, and, and honestly, my second child who's in pre-K now, like I just can tell when he goes in there, he just, he loves the routine of it. Mm-hmm. Like that's like kids, but they get to a certain point where like they thrive on that. Yes. I mean, we all thrive on routine. Right. Mm-hmm. But like just the other day, even he didn't sleep very well the night before. And I was like, look, you don't have to go to school today. You can stay with me. I have a couple things I have to do. It's just you because yeah, little boys were in daycare. Mm-hmm. So you can come around and do all my things with me. But he chose to go to school. That's so great. You know, because I think and I walk him in and he sits down and they have their breakfast and they, you know, mm-hmm. he just wants to do his routine. Yep. You know? Yeah. And that's really important. And yeah. Because really, I mean aren't all of our lives like routine mm-hmm. in some way or another. And so it's good for them to like slowly get that experience so they can get used to it. Because I mean, really like grade school, like kindergarten through 12th grade or excuse me, kindergarten through eighth grade and high school is very rigid and very routine. So being able to have them like learn that from early on in like a nice, comfortable yes. setting <laughs> isn't so jarring when they go right into kindergarten. It's like blocked off and, mm-hmm. you know, this is we're going here now. And yeah, it's just like a nice ease and a good transition for them. Yeah. So when will you find out about PhD programs or when will you start applying? Oh, February. You start I've applied. applying. I've applied oh, already. Yep. I turned in all my applications in October. I'm not a very patient person. So this has been a tough process You're just for waiting. me. I'm just waiting. Yep. I'm just waiting. Uh, I've applied. And so most of the deadlines are February. So I won't find out probably till the end of February. Yeah, but are you, so are you trying to stay in Boulder? Yes. Okay. So that's definitely uh, my first choice is to stay in Boulder. We love Boulder. Uh, but I've applied to other places as well. I've applied to Northern Arizona University. Um, I've applied to IU, actually. Oh. Yep. And then my kind of pie in the sky school that would be great if I got into, but, um, you know, I don't think I will, but you don't know if you don't, you don't apply. Know. That's right. Um, is I applied to the University of Michigan. Okay. So, so um, but yes, first choice is definitely CU, so we can stay in Boulder, because um, that'd be very ideal. Do you like order it like you would med school, or does you just get in or you don't? Um, you just them? yep, you just it's get not like in a or you don't. Thing. Yeah, okay. you just get in or you don't. Okay. So, so yeah. even even though Michigan's your pie in the sky, if you got into Michigan mm-hmm. and Colorado, would you choose Michigan? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I've been kind of operating under the impression that I'm not going to get into Michigan. He doesn't want to move to Michigan. <laughs> I know. <laughs> would you guys move together though, or would you kind of Noah stay and do roots? And I think uh, <laughs> he's looking at me like I get to answer. <laughs> We're finding out together. You'll cross that bridge when you get there. Yeah, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. So that's why it's like ideally we'd love to stay in Boulder. Yeah. So Noah can stay in his training system mm-hmm. and we don't have to be apart or you know really make that decision and I really I really like Boulder a yeah. lot I mean just not only for the Reading community but Boulder is a really neat town I I've guess. never been oh, you've got to come I know I went to this summer I think I'm going to oh you should the summer is great yeah yeah I'm gonna plan a, a interview you know tour absolutely yeah yeah a bunch of athletes yeah that'd be awesome that'd be really great 
So yeah, we don't want to leave Boulder. Um, it's really a really special place. I want to talk about the mental health thing yeah. a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's an article in Women's Running mm-hmm. from back in the day. I'm sure you get reference to that all the time. Mm-hmm. And it references an Instagram post that you really opened up about. Mm-hmm. It, can you just kind of share your story with, with mental health and bipolar disorder? And is, Yeah. 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 So um, I'll start from the beginning. Uh, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder when I was 24. Yeah, about 24 years old. So coming off the Brooks Hansen stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think reflecting I kind of knew that maybe something was not always I don't want to say right because it's not like right or wrong but that maybe I that something wasn't quite right with my processing of things and my emotions and you know just like talking to my friends and other people about their experiences uh that I didn't really find a lot of people who were experiencing their emotions as I was nor having some of the same feelings that I was and so I went to a doctor and um explained what was going on and um then got the bipolar diagnosis and things were going fine um, they gave you medication right away? Yep. Gave me medication and right away. And you were on nothing before? I was on nothing before. Okay. And um, I started in therapy. And it's generally like 99.8% of the time, it's very manageable. Um, but then that 0.2% is like terrible, mm. just to put it bluntly. Um, and so... In November of 2017, uh, I just, things were just not going well. Uh, Just mentally, I was a wreck. Um, I was really depressed and was having hallucinations, which I had never experienced before. Um, and I was having like audio, audio hallucinations, um, where I was like hearing voices and it was really scary and it's, it was really, it was a really scary time. I mean, it was scary for me. It was scary for Noah. Um, you guys were together at that point. mm -hmm. And it was a situation where I was like, oh my God, I thought I had this under control and not only is it bad but it's actually like worse than it's ever been before like oh my god I think this is actually getting worse but I've been through treatment and I have medication and I'm going to therapy and I began really spiraling because that is really scary where then I was like oh my gosh like I'm going crazy I'm going crazy because I'm seeing things I'm hearing voices and when you're in that kind of place, the solutions that pop up aren't always the most sane. So I thought, wow, this is actually getting worse. The only way that this is going to stop is if I 
were to commit suicide. Mm. I think that that's the only way. I mean, I can't live through this. I don't want people that I love to have to live through this. And that was what I saw as my only out at that point. Cause I was like, I like, I'm a crazy person. This is going, this isn't going to get better. And, um, so I went to, uh, mental health partners, uh, in Boulder and explained what was happening. Um, I had a really bad day. And then the next day I, I went and was like, I think I'm okay. Like, I don't think I'm really like, I don't think I'm going to commit suicide today, but I, mm. you know, it was something that I'd been thinking about and that really set off a cascade of events where they're like, oh, well then you need to be committed, which in retrospect was the right choice yeah. um, because I don't think I was safe. And it's also not fair to put on loved ones to keep me safe because Noah's not a mental health professional. Yeah. Like my people in my circle aren't mental health professionals. That's not their job. They're not equipped to do that. And that's not, I don't think that's fair to put that on them. Um, you know, I know that they love me and they'd be willing to do that, but also not necessarily the right resources to utilize when you're in a crisis like that. So I went to the hospital and I was committed. Um, and it was, yeah, it was not the best experience um, I've had interacting with mental health professionals. Oh, really? Yeah. And I did get the resources I needed. Um, and of course, like it's, it's, it's not funny, but it's just like the timing, <laughs> um, my, the psychiatrist I was working at, working with, um, was in Moab at the time. Oh, and so I was like, like running. Uh, no, just oh. like on vacation with his oh. family. Like, For some reason I was thinking, Oh, was he doing <laughs> the Moab too for <laughs> No, no, he just was like on vacation with his family. Probably oh, having like, like a regular lovely therapist. time. Yes. And I'm like having this like mental oh. health crisis and um, you know, I can't get a hold of him. And I was like, the one week. Yeah. That, like things are spiraling. Yeah. Yes. Um, but through all of that, then that really was, I mean, that was truly like my low point in terms mm -hmm. of mental health. And what do you, what do you that. think though, was like the difference between like, you knowing I need, like, I need to go in mm -hmm. and like talk to someone and let someone know that this is happening mm -hmm. compared to someone who might not make those steps, take those steps. Mm -hmm. Like, why did you, why were you brave enough to do that? I guess. I think because it had been worse than it ever had been before because I was having those hallucinations and I realized that this is, this is not something that I can fix with meditation mm. or going for a walk yeah. or petting my dog. Yeah. Exercise you know? is not true. Exactly. And just, a true answer. Right. I'm like, this is not going to be solved by me getting getting some fresh air. So, um, and there's there's certainly benefits to that, you know, where like I do that now, you sure. know, if I'm feeling really anxious, yeah. I go for a walk, I listen, I meditate, I listen to a soothing podcast, you know, but this was beyond that. And I think that was really the impetus to be like, oh, I actually need help. Like, I need help because this isn't something that I can solve. And I had made, you know, I have plans in place um, for, like, self-soothing self, self -soothing mm -hmm. and, you know, 
really help like resetting myself. And I utilize those because I think those are important skill sets for just people in general to have. Um, But this was something that was beyond that. Mm -hmm. And that was why I was like, okay, I need to go in. Um, And then after that, it was a situation where I was like, okay, so what we were doing obviously might not be working. Um, And so then going back to that psychiatrist and, you know, we did a lot of work together and I am really happy to say, I think generally I've been pretty good. I mean, I have, all people have good days and have some bad days, but for the most part, um, since then I've been stable and um, feeling pretty good. Do you, did you have to play around with your medicine? Yes. Yeah. See, that's, that's so scary too. Cause you never mm-hmm. know how you're going to react to things. Yep. Yeah. And it's really, I mean, yeah, it's really can be like, well, roll of the dice. You gotta try. <laughs> gotta, try. gotta try. Yeah. The only way you're going to find out is if you try. And, uh, and so that, that was a part of it mm-hmm. too, um, is some of the dosages I was on weren't really like working. Um, and so that played a pretty big role in, I think what sparked, um, the whole episode we call them episodes mm-hmm. um, but, um, that's part sparked the whole episode. Uh, and so, you know, it's just something, yeah, you have to play around with and figure it out. So what's your message to someone who has maybe is walking through this or um, is like scared or embarrassed to, you know, get help? Sure. Uh, I think that you kind of have to check your ego at the door because you need to really worry about yourself. And at that point, it is self-preservation. And so you just need to take the steps that are most important. um, And that's taking care of yourself. And it is really hard because, I mean, our society today, I think, puts so much pressure on productivity and hustle and you know, let those feelings just push them down. Like, who cares? You just keep keep going. And sometimes you can't. Sometimes you just simply cannot keep going. And I think recognizing that and really knowing what your own personal limitations are uh, is healthy. And I think once you know that and get to know yourself a little bit better and you can ask for help, I think that's probably like the most important is just like knowing sort of what your boundaries are. And, you know, if you're reaching them, it's okay to ask for some help. And whether that's, and it's different for everybody, mm-hmm. you know, some people reaching out for help is calling a friend mm-hmm. and being like, hey, can you actually like drive me to the clinic? Yeah. And then for some other people, maybe it's just calling a crisis line or maybe it's, calling their loved one and being like, hey, like, I just can't really be alone right now. Can you come hang out with me for a little bit and getting over it? Or I shouldn't say getting over it, but going through it. Going through it, yeah. And being able to come out on the other side. Um, But probably my biggest message would be is that you don't have to do it alone because it's really isolating and there's a lot more people out there who are going through this than you would think. And... I hope that we're coming to a point where it's not so shameful Mm -hmm. because I I'll admit like I do feel a little bit of shame at times about bipolar disorder 
mostly because people are like, oh my God, I'm like so bipolar. Like, I, oh, <laughs> I'm like, people joke about it. Yeah. And I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm I was like, like, oh, you are? Yeah. I'm like, like oh, really? And really? Because I am too. Yeah. And really? Then, yeah. And then I'm like, oh, oh never mind. Just never mind. never mind. Just forget about it. I didn't, don't forget about it. Um, but what, yeah. how does that <laughs> tell me your feelings on that? Because I, I feel like people get offended about everything mm-hmm. all the time, mm-hmm. but it seems like you're like, you can kind of like take it with a grain of salt a little bit. Yeah. I kind of take it with a grain of salt because I'm like, it, they don't obviously intentionally want to hurt your feelings, no. but maybe this is like a really important time to say, maybe we shouldn't say that. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, people just don't know. And, mm-hmm. and if you don't know something about a person, you're not, no one's, I really try and like think that people, at the heart are good no one's trying to like purposely like hurt you and make you feel bad and so I just sort of go with that and I'm just like well you know they're not out to say something about me that that's just a term that's been around to describe things that are like up and down or you know and unfortunately it's not like a correct term to use (laughs) but um i am aware that people just kind of use it flippantly and Mm -hmm. it's not something that's meant to offend anyone i do think like people are talking about this more Mm -hmm. oh for sure you know what i mean like i do feel like it's it's in headed in a positive direction absolutely i think you know how like there's a big a big boom in like wellness and lifestyle culture right now. I think that mental health and being more open about it is going that same route. Uh, Not necessarily in terms of like people selling detox teas and everything, but I think that we are starting to see mental health openness and mental health awareness going into that same sphere of wellness as well. And I think that's a good thing because I think people are open to being more transparent. Uh, and I think that's really important. Yeah. And I, the hustle everyday mentality, like, I don't know where it came from. I feel like it's all part of this like girl boss culture type yes. stuff. <laughs> and I, I just, I don't get on board with it. And honestly, even with my own friends, like when people talk about being so busy and I was just on a text chain with people talking about like getting through Christmas because there's so many things to do. And I'm like, like change your, change it. Yeah. You, you don't, don't have, have to. to. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you don't have to. Like I purposely don't commit to certain things for that reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that I'm getting invited to like all these parties, but like I'm not going to go to every single thing purposely because it'll stress me out yes that man so that's probably like the biggest thing I learned because I am very like I like having a lot going on yeah I like being productive I like having a schedule to my day and probably one of the biggest takeaways um with being in therapy with being in therapy and like also dealing with bipolar is to make sure that I have space for myself where I block off time to specifically do nothing, Mm, to mm -hmm. specifically lay on the couch and read if that's what Mm. I want to do for like an hour and a half or if I just want to watch Bon Appetit YouTube videos for an hour and a half but or if I just want to sit there and meditate or pet the dog but making sure especially around the holidays because it is kind of frenzied making sure that I have that space carved out for myself. And that's really saved my sanity because just being able to have 
some time to do whatever you want to do um, in that hour and a half, an hour, 45 minutes, whatever you can carve out, um, I think is really helpful and uh, keeps me balanced yeah. insane yeah. Um, because yeah we totally live in a society where it's like hustle hard every single mm-hmm. day and like you gotta work work for what you want and um, actually I saw a really good <laughs> meme on Instagram <laughs> that was talking about um, like how we ask kids like what their dream job is uh-huh. it's like <laughs> why are we asking kids what their dream job is uh-huh. like, like a, job a job that they're gonna work at every single day for uh-huh. their life like no, no that is not the dream and uh i really appreciated that because i was like yeah i mean you know but uh i think it's important to make sure you have some space for yourself because we are totally in a culture where it is like hustle hard and and there's a time and a place like i i want to work hard like i want to build my my show and Mm -hmm. i want to run a marathon pr but like that doesn't mean that i have to overcommit myself to you know too many things in either direction yeah absolutely and i found that just recently actually with starting uh my blog about my dad's life story um that i was getting up just in the last like week and I've been working on it in the morning for like an hour and a half. But then I would go out and run and I'm just like, I am really drained. Why am I oh, so drained? And I'm like, oh, because I was just like editing for and writing for an hour and a half. And then I just ran 11 miles and it's 10 a.m. No wonder I am completely dead and just like devoid of any emotion. And um, so it's always just a work in progress and trying to find that right balance of work and working hard at the right times and you know giving yourself time to relax as well yeah I oftentimes have to just like and especially when my kids get home like just say like the work is done mm-hmm. like as if I try to like squeeze things in you know it's yep. just it doesn't it like feels so like half like I'm ha- giving half to everything right and so that I had that rule for like schoolwork mm-hmm. when I got home from work I'm like nope it's done. done done i'm not opening the laptop for schoolwork i'm not reading research your efficiency after. will be like oh half ex- a fourth of what it could be exactly anyway. and then i'm also like not really paying attention because i'm trying to pay attention to the dogs uh-huh. and trying to pay attention to noah needy <laughs> noah over there yeah i think it's like such a uniquely american thing too that we get stressed oh. out about being too busy and it's yes. just it's gross well and it's just like it's become such like a weird badge of honor to be like oh i'm it's so busy. busy and it's like what like, it's not a badge of honor yeah or like oh like you should see my schedule or like my google calendar and i'm like i no thanks. No thanks. Like, I, don't I know. Care. <laughs> Anytime I catch myself saying like I'm too busy or like I say something like that, I'm like, wait a minute, I don't want to make time for that. It's like I have mm-hmm. time. Do I want to make time? Yeah. And I and I feel like that that's how the language needs to be recreated because most of us, unless we're in like our residency mm-hmm. as a doctor or we're like the single parent of five children, like most of us have time. Yes. To do, you know, do what we need to do or or to take that break that we were talking about. Yep, exactly. And especially like for me, I've just really found that it's just like I, you can say no to things. Yeah. You can say no. You can say no. And it's OK. You don't have to invent some excuse. You can just say no. Like, no, thanks. Thanks for inviting me. But 
no thanks. I'm, I I just can't do it. Yeah, and I think my my mom. Oh my gosh, she always like reminds me of this, and it's a really good reminder. Um, but it's like for like excuses for saying no. It's like your friends don't need it, and like the people you don't know like don't deserve it. Mm. And I'm just like, okay, I'm yeah. like yeah, because and then also just learning that no can be a complete that sentence. That can be it. Like, nope, I just can't do it right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, Emma, let's do our end of the podcast questions. All right. Uh, Emma and Noah are going to see Hamilton tonight. I'm so excited. Um, yeah. What do you think? Oh, I am so pumped. I love musicals. Uh, so this is like, seriously, like dream come true. I've been wanting to go see Hamilton for like what it's been out for a couple years i've been wanting to see it yeah for you're so like late long. on the train here yes we are but i'm finally we're finally going to see it sue noah's mom and i very excited noah is excited <laughs> he said he was going into it with an open mind yes exactly um but it'll be really great i'm pretty pumped well and i into that i said i feel embarrassed a little bit like I'm not cultured enough that I'm not into that stuff Mm -hmm. and that being said I do still kind of want to see Hamilton just to know what all the hype is about oh yeah because it's like a huge part of like the zeitgeist right now like people are like Hamilton Hamilton this is it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah somebody was talking about how it like brought back musicals and things like that a little bit more like people that would never have gone to see a musical went yeah are going Mm -hmm. because of what it is yeah It'd be great. Oh, man. Okay. What is one thing professionally or personally that you'd like to do that you haven't done? So professionally, uh, get into a PhD program. Uh, I really like to make a difference in terms of research in curriculum for early childhood education. So that's a really big piece of my professional puzzle. And personally... Uh, we just got a new dog, mm. Chandler. He's the best. That's a good name. What's your other dog's name? Sarah. Sarah. <laughs> I love humans, human names for dogs. Yeah. And I think all of my kids have good dog names, like good, good human names that could be dogs. That's great. Like Lewis. Is that not like the best oh, dog name ever? Yes. Yeah. That's so great. And Russ. Oh, and like, think Russ. about having a dog Russ. named Russ. Yeah. Russ reminds me of just like. Some like big like bulldog. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. And then so on like the personal note is just uh, getting Chandler uh, settled in our place. And he's like brand new. He's like brand new. He's uh, we've had him for like two weeks. Yeah. That's so. yeah. yeah. Is he a puppy? He's actually uh, 10 years old. Oh, and, OK. And uh, he's blind. So there's uh, you, you adopted a senior citizen. <laughs> we adopted a senior citizen. Give him the best few last few years of his life is yeah our idea so. that's awesome yeah thanks what's an accomplishment you're most proud of uh i think actually going going back to school after being out for seven years mm. uh that was pretty big um i mean i like college like my undergrad um i probably could have put a little more effort in um but then coming back to the world of academics after seven years uh I brought like a fresher perspective because, well, one, I was paying for it. <laughs> yes. Um, so <laughs> the investment <laughs> was a little bit different from when I was in college because um, there aren't any scholarships um, this time around. 
Uh, and so um, I was pretty proud of that to really dedicate myself um, to going back to school and investing in my education um, in such a way. And so I was proud to graduate with my master's. It's awesome. Thanks. What's the best, most recent book you've read? Ooh, so this is tough because now that I'm done with school, um, I have like a stack of books that I want to read. So I'm currently reading, Noah's reading it right now, but it's called Starvation Heights. Um, it is a true crime Looks like book. a library book. It is a library book. It's really good. It's uh, <laughs> about a woman in like the 1920s. It's a true story. Um, she is like a health and fitness guru. Oh, in the 1920s. Yes, I know, right? Ah. And so she opens this health resort um, out in Olala, Washington. But the main method of wellness is um, like fasting. Oh. And people are dying. Oh. And it's like this whole plot of oh, wow. like how she came to prominence. And it's really interesting. And then um, on a lighter note, <laughs> usually when we travel, uh, my favorite author is David Sedaris. So I always grab a David Sedaris book off the bookshelf. I feel like um, Noah mentioned him too. Oh, I love David Sedaris. Yeah. Like, is He's, it the Me Talk Pretty to You book? or Yep, Me Talk Pretty One Day. Or yep. Me Talk Pretty That's One That's one I brought actually yep. to Indy with uh -huh. me. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I've like always paged through that. I've probably read it like a dozen times. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm just not a rereader because I feel like there's so many books I want to read. I know. I know. But I, it's just like nice to kind of have something like familiar. Yeah, yeah. When you're traveling. Yeah. You know. uh, what's a nonprofit you like to support? <laughs> I was telling Noah about this earlier. I'm like, I'm going to screw up the name of it. I always want to call it the Better Brain and Research Foundation okay. <laughs> because they are making brains better, but it's called the Brain and Research uh, Foundation. Okay. And so it's a nonprofit. Um, I donate regularly to it because all of their funding goes directly to researchers who are working on uh, mental health issues. Okay. Um, and it's, it's, really important obviously like we were talking earlier um so that's something that i like to support that's good what is oh i was gonna forget uh if you could have coffee cocktail tea with someone fun motivating or inspiring who would it be so i actually it would be david sedaris is he alive i feel like <laughs> i've asked this question yep. before okay yep, he's alive but uh uh definitely him um i've met him twice like in the book line oh. after i saw him but I did the thing where mm -hmm. <laughs> I went up to him and I was ready to be like, oh, hey, like, great show. You did so amazing. I'm such a huge fan. And I got up there and I was just like, hi. <laughs> <laughs> and Noah's like, give him your book. Was like, he what with are you? you doing? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, what's your name? And I'm like, Emma. <laughs> you know and i totally froze so um but what you did said show was he like doing a book reading or something yep he did a book reading so i saw him in toledo a couple years ago and then we saw him in boulder uh in april in april um but yeah definitely would love to uh get like a coffee with him or something to hang out because it'd be really interesting what's your one message to send to the world Ooh, this one's tough I think probably that people are more than just their worst moments and their best moments. I think that's really important. 
think a lot of times that we'll judge people based on one interaction mm-hmm. and that could be catching them at a really bad moment or a really good moment. And I think there's more to people than just those small snippets. Um, and I think approaching people with a more or a greater sense of empathy would be good because there are people who are dealing with things that you don't know about and you know maybe someone snapped at you but you don't know like what their day was like and I think just having a greater understanding of like well maybe I just call them at a bad moment Mm. and um you know that people are more than just yeah like their worst actions and their best actions and I think that's important that's good yeah thanks Thanks, Emma. Thanks. This is so fun. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Thanks, Emma, for coming on the show, sharing your story, coming to my home. That was so fun to be able to sit on the couch with you and do this in person. You all can find Emma on Instagram. She is E-M underscore K-E-R-Z. You can find me on Instagram. I'm lindsayhine626. And you can find me on Twitter at lindsayhine as well as Facebook, I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine where we have a group as well. Don't forget to check out that mini marathon training program that I'm going to be doing with Athletic Annex and Michelob Ultra. Head over to the show notes at lindsayhine.com to find more information on that. I will be posting on social media about it as well. So I'll definitely have information in my Instagram stories. lindsayhine626 is my Instagram handle. And yeah, I hope you all have had a Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, and thank you so much for being a part of of this podcast in, in 2019. I can't believe this is the last episode of, of the year, so I'm super grateful for you all, and if it weren't for each and every one of you listening, this wouldn't really be possible, so um, I'm just super grateful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Have a really great Friday. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend, and as always, I will see you next Friday.